This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. This is our annual Thanksgiving show. You've come to believe that the vast majority of you listen via the internet and your computers. But, of course, a certain number of you are going to be listening on the radio today, and we especially dedicate this program to you. Because chances are, if you're not at a holiday bash with family right now, you're probably doing your duty somewhere. Perhaps a police officer, a fireman, a nurse, or even someone who is keeping the gas pumps going on our local station. We salute you, and... Well, hopefully in our second segment air one of our favorite comedic pieces we've ever had on this program, which we have borrowed from This American Life. It's a piece by Jack Hitt on the subject of failure. It's oftentimes a fine line between success and failure, although maybe not in the case of the instance they talk about in this segment. But uh, we do dedicate that to you on our holiday. Sadly, however, today marks another anniversary, that of the assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas, 49 years ago today. This is a historical um, turning point in recent American history, and I think we're going to have to talk a little bit about that with historical writer James Eugenio, which we will do in our third segment today. But let us begin today's program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History... It was on this date, November 22nd in 1497, that the Portuguese explorer Vasco da Gama, in his search for a sea route to India, was the first person to successfully sail around the Cape of Good Hope. Well, at least the first person we know about. It seems pretty clear from ancient records that the Phoenicians did this thousands of years previous while sailing for one of the pharaohs of Egypt. Trouble is, the efforts of the Phoenicians did not open a sea route to India or or do anything else of a lasting nature. You know, sometimes we examine certain dates in history, we find that, well, some of them are just less momentous than others. Hence, items like the following. It was on November 22nd in 1910 that the first U.S. patent for a tubular steel shaft for a golf club was issued to A.F. Knight of Schenectady, New York. For the record, the first recorded steel-shafted club was made by Scottish blacksmith Thomas Hornsborough in 1893, but his solid shaft was rather heavy and did not prove popular. On November 22nd in 1928, the French composer Maurice Ravel's Bolero was publicly performed in Paris for the very first time. And if it's not ringing a bell, you know this tune. In fact, you'll be hearing it again in our second segment. On this date in 1943, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, and Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek of China gathered in Cairo, Egypt, for a discussion on the future of Japan following World War II. The most important implication of the conference was that China would be conferred great power status in the post-war world. Well, in the wake of Chiang Kai-shek losing control of the country to Mao Zedong, that didn't quite work out as they were planning in Egypt. In fact, fast-forwarding ahead, November 22, 1972, a 22-year-old ban dating back to 1950 on American travel to China 
was lifted by then-U.S. President Richard M. Nixon. The collaboration between Nixon and his Republican Party and the Communist Party of the People's Republic of China has led to quite a Quite a change since then, where at this point in time, without a doubt, China is one of the great powers of the world, having the world's second largest economy ahead of Japan and behind only that of the United States, which may soon become a subsidiary of the People's Republic of China. On November 22nd in 1986, the American prize fighter Mike Tyson became the youngest boxer ever to wear the world's heavyweight crown as he knocked out Trevor Burbick in Las Vegas, Nevada. He was just 20 years old. Five years earlier, Trevor Burbick fought Muhammad Ali in his last fight and defeated him in a 10-round unanimous decision. Trevor Burbick, it could be said, then bridges the gap between Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson who, it must be said, has uh, moved from a career in boxing to one uh, in acting of sorts. He has a great appearance in the original The Hangover. And if you go on YouTube and look up the spoof that was done uh, about the King's speech, wherein Mike Tyson is the voice coach for President George W. Bush, I think you'll get a laugh. Our quote of the day, and this was sent to us by Barbara, is as follows. This actually comes from an old Italian proverb, which is, when the game is over, the king and the pawn go into the same box. Our equip of the day comes from a Max Eastman, who apparently didn't think too highly of Ernest Hemingway as a writer, whom he described of as having a literary style of wearing false hair on the chest. Our joke of the day comes from Jay Leno, who said, One in every seven people on the planet now owns a cell phone. You know what's even more amazing? That whenever I go to the theater, I never sit next to any of the other six people. And our stat of the day is kind of a good news, bad news item. The College Board reported some weeks back that um, the cost of going to college, which had dropped during the recession and recovery, is slowly rising again. The good news, what there is, is that this year's price increase was only half the rate of the past two years. Nevertheless, we saw a 5% increase, or about $400 a year, for public institutions. If you're keeping track, the average price of tuition, fees, and room and board, after financial aid and tuition tax credits are deducted, has reached $12,100 for in-state students at public four-year colleges. At private nonprofit institutions, it's reached $23,800. Yikes. Let's see if we can't jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week a few weeks back for paranoia with the news that some parents in Encinitas, California, are objecting to the teaching of yoga in school. The superintendent of schools, Tim Baird, said yoga poses provide a healthy workout and a way to reduce student stress. But some are insisting it's a sneaky way to promote Eastern religion. Said one parent, 
there's really a lot of unease among a lot of parents. And she pulled her son from the twice-weekly lessons. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for effective decay-preventing technologies when used in a plan of conscientiously applied oral hygiene. With the news that prisoners in West Palm Beach, Florida are having to sue to try and get access to dental floss. In fact, four inmates have filed suit so far claiming pain and suffering. But Sheriff Rick Bradshaw says there's, there's too great a risk of floss being used as a weapon or a rope. Said Bradshaw, I don't care if they file 400 suits. They're not getting it. This isn't the Ritz-Carlton. As far as Radio Parallax is concerned, if a prisoner can shimmy his way down a prison wall on dental floss, he deserves to escape. And personally, I try to rely upon dental tape because that dental floss keeps busting when I'm trying to clean my teeth. So how you could garret somebody with it, well, I, I just don't think you can. Chris, Mr. Millen has pointed out that if it were him, he'd put together about four or five strings together and, boy, he'd get the job done. Which is why we would add, if Mr. Millen is ever a prisoner in West Palm Beach, Florida, it's going to be a snowy day before he's doing any flossing. Finally, it was an ugly week some weeks back for middle-aged Republicans who think Sarah Palin is hot. With the news that the former Alaska governor is now remaking herself as a fitness guru. But apparently her new obsession with thinness is worrying her friends. According to the National Enquirer, which despite despite its reputation for trash news does occasionally get things right, Sarah Palin, now aged 48, knows that her career as a politician and pundit is over, so she's written a fitness book and plans to issue DVDs and workout gear. Note of the Inquirer, the former vice presidential candidate now works out so obsessively that she's dropped to 93 pounds. And there was a photograph published in the Week magazine that makes her look pretty skeletal. But of course, this news item did break before Thanksgiving, so maybe Sarah will put some of those pounds back on at the turkey dinner. And finally, we have this item from the oddball file, which is pretty irresistible. Apparently, a British teenager slept through a car crashing into his bedroom. Evidently, Ben London, age 15, was deep in the kind of sleep only teenagers can manage when an Audi A4 came flying through the wall, sending bricks scattering and covering him in white dust. Said London, I was woken up by my mum shouting. I couldn't see anything, just white, because the car lights were lighting up the dust. London reportedly feels lucky to have escaped uninjured, especially now that his parents will have to redo his room. Said London, I will have all new stuff, so I'm pretty pleased about that. All right, great insults may not be the kind of thing that uh, really should go with a holiday show, but these are so good we just can't resist. I want to thank Millicent for sending this item to us. Let's start with William Whitelaw commenting on the rather colorless British Prime Minister Harold Wilson. Said Whitelaw, he's going around the country stirring up apathy. Gore Vidal certainly didn't spare any venom on people he didn't care for. Said he about Ronald Reagan, he's a triumph of the embalmer's art. Said he about his literary rival, Truman Capote's death was a great career move. I guess Ambrose Bierce must have been a tough literary critic, said he. The covers of this book are too far apart. 
And here's one from a General Weston about Adolphus Greeley, an Arctic explorer. He never commanded more than 10 men in his life, and he ate three of them. Thanks, Millie. We do like to go to our archives sometimes for just, you know, some of the all-timers. Apparently, Samuel Johnson did not say, or at least nobody's been able to find in his works, the following, but uh, it's such a good quote that if you want to use it, just say, this has been attributed to Samuel Johnson. Reportedly, Johnson was sent a manuscript to which he replied, Your manuscript is both good and original, but the part that is good is not original, and the part that is original is not good. And yes, we've used it on the show before, but it's just just too darn good and original. And you know, doggone it, this is a holiday show. I'm going to go and uh, pull out our some of our old comedy files and recycle some of the great material we've used before because, well, the odds are fairly good you didn't hear it the first time. And even if you did, it's probably worth a second look. We do dearly miss the Radar 100. But I think we'll grab a few best of items from those. How about this... Uh, this one from 100 Things Not to Say in a Job Interview. How about, my work ethic is so strong, it's practically Asian. Yeah, that couldn't be good. Also, why yes, it is a fake beard. Or, do you mind if I bunk here till I straighten out my housing situation? And let's see, out of 100 Things Not to Say in a Job Interview, well, you wouldn't. this one wouldn't be good. My requirements, huh, three hots and a cot. Or how about, is this a Christian workplace, or am I going to have my work cut out for me? Let's see. Also, would I be allowed to have a crock pot at my desk? And finally, among things not to say in a job interview, think of me as the hamburger helper to your skillet of ground workload. All right, another item from the Radar 100. This came out of 100 Reasons You're Single, asking, why is your love life going to the dogs? Probably because you dot, 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 initiate line dances or sleep on World Wrestling Federation sheets or own and display a calendar featuring babies dressed as cowboys or are the president of a fan club or display your framed degree from bartending school or have more than zero stuffed animals on your bed. Or you raise iguanas. Or you are learning to play the bagpipes. All right, let's close this segment. One of our favorites from past shows, The Best of Merged Books. Premise is here, you take two classic works of literature and combine them. Such as Machiavelli's The Little Prince. Antoine de Saint-Oxbury's classic children's tale as presented by Machiavelli turns out as the whimsy of human nature is embodied in many delightful and intriguing characters, all of whom are intimidated and sometimes executed. Merged books, Green Eggs and Hamlet. Would you kill him in his bed? Thrust a dagger through his head? I would not, could not kill the king. I could not do that evil thing. I would not wed this girl, you see. Now, get her to a nunnery. There's Jane Eyre Jordan. Plucky English orphan girl survives hardships to lead the Chicago Bulls to the NBA championship. And then there's our three favorites. Fahrenheit 451 of the Vanities. 
An 80s yuppie is denied books. He doesn't object, doesn't even notice. There's Paradise Lost in Space, wherein Satan, Moloch, and Belial are sentenced to spend eternity in a flying saucer with a goofy robot, an evil scientist, and two annoying children. And finally, we close with Ricky Contiki Tavi, wherein Thor Heyerdahl recounts his attempt to prove Rudyard Kipling's theory that the mongoose first came to India on a raft from Polynesia. All right, we need to take a short break, so let's do so. When we come back, we're going to air uh, one of our favorites from that wonderful program, This American Life by Ira Glass. And in our final segment, we'll speak with historian James DiEugenio about Bill O'Reilly's new book on the JFK assassination and more. Stay tuned. <laughs> 